0: Welcome back to another edition of the Urban Guru Podcast, where we feature creative insights from artists and professionals of color. On today's podcast, I have the honor of interviewing novelist Arrow J. Knight. Not only is he a novelist, he's also a screenwriter, comic writer, mental health clinician, and motivational speaker. I can honestly say that Aero J. Knight is the most energized writer I have ever met, and you'll see it for yourself. So stay tuned for an inspirational chat with Aero J. Knight. Oh, thank you, Mr. Aero J. Knight, for being on my podcast with me. Uh, we're trying this once more, but uh, I'm so glad that you were able to do it. How are things going for you?
1: Things are going great. Everybody, this is a. Uh the most incredible and charismatic, unknown author you've never heard of, Arrow J. Knight. <laughs> and I am happy to be here on this podcast to get a little bit of knowledge. So thank you for having
0: me. So um, I guess the first thing that people want to know is um, how did you get into writing? You know, Did you grow up around writers and readers, did you always write from a young age, or how did you get started just in writing in general?
1: absolutely not uh growing up i grew up in the heart of detroit michigan mm-hmm. and uh you know i came from definitely a working class family you know dad worked at Ford, mom was a dietary nurse at harper grace hospital mm-hmm. and uh although they were not uh readers or or i would say those of higher education they made it a point me being the last coming through that i was that so they made sure that i had and I hope I'm not crucified for this, Bill Cosby's picture page. Okay. And he used to come on TV and his picture page, picture page. Everybody loves picture page. And he had books, and he had uh, this little set pin that he had. And they made sure I had that. They made sure I had Dr. Seuss books. They made sure I had the Berenstain Bears and the highlights. So they started me off early reading. Um, And of course, I got away from it, heading towards, you know, the peer years, the peer pressure became, you know, really heavy. And uh, I was done with it until I got to the ninth grade, where I had this Caucasian-German teacher. And how he ended up in the Detroit public school system as a teacher, I have no clue. But he had to be close to 70 when I got to his class in the ninth grade. And uh, when I came in, he said, how many of you like to travel to, like, the east side of Detroit? (laughs) You know? (laughs) He's like, no, travel. Many many of us don't do that much around these parts, you know? Mm -hmm. He said, that's about to change. I'm about to give you the passport, but we will take a trip out to the outer rings on planets and fight with the starship troopers of Arachnus of monstrous proportions. And then from there, we're going to travel out to the rings where we will find out who is the lord of them. We will be with Frodo. We will be with Samwise-Gimji. And then we will go to an island and find out how children act when the adults are gone and Lord of the Flies. Now, how does that sound? Now, me personally, I was like, man, I don't know where we're going. But that sounds exciting. Show me how to get there. And reading was the passport. I got to go all these places and meet all these strange people and wonderful characters, you know. So I've been twenty thousand leagues under the sea. I've been whale capturing with Moby Dick, and I went on and I fought, you know, alien arachnids with the Starship Trooper. Everything he promised was there, and uh, that was the reading. The writing came once again. Don't crucify the world when I seen the Warner Brothers, Brandon, Ruth, Kevin Spacey, Superman. This movie was so bad. I believe that was the only movie I ever walked out on. And when I walked out, I said, with no experience, no education in screenplay writing, I said, I write a better movie than that. And that was my entry into screenplay writing. And into writing. Period.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's so funny that so many writers, um, I think particularly um, people of color, um, they see something and it's like, "Wow, I can, I know I can do better than that." <laughs> <laughs> I can't I do no I worse. Yeah, because I think that was um how Octavia Butler started her writing career. Same thing. She either read something or saw something. She said, I I know I can do better than that. <laughs> <You know>? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I, said, so I can do been... no
1: worse. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So your writing career started with screenplays. And I and I yes. told you we were gonna talk about the screenwriting. So so how did that go? I mean it's one thing to just pick up a piece of paper and start writing, you know, a poem or a short story or something like that, but screenplays, as structured as they are, how did that? How did you start on that journey? I mean, I know how you got started on it, but what was your first steps in doing that?
1: My first step was, what the hell is a screenplay? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're talking two thousand and six. Online had kind of came into its own. It was infancy, but it was kind of on its own. And you're just—I was able to Google screenplays, and now there wasn't many at the time, but it gave you a list of screenplays that were written. And so what I did was, although they might not have been the finished screenplays of what we seen that came to the theater, they were like maybe the fifth copy from the finished copy. To me, close enough. Mm -hmm. So I studied, uh, I studied James Camerons, I studied, well, it was definitely a lot of James Camerons, and uh, Steven Mm Soderbergh, and I can't think of the guy who wrote Seven right now at the moment. Um, (laughs) Fantastic movie, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I read these guys' screenplays, and I studied their structure. And then I bought Screenplay for Dummies
0: mm-hmm.
1: and Save the Cat. Mm-hmm. And between those, I learned the structure of screen, screenplay writing. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I was already dialogue heavy. So the fact that I got to really play and make my dialogue shine, past it. Yeah. And reading in some of the structure, it was like you don't really have to know camera angles or any of that. So I only learned the angles that I knew that I would love to see or that would best suit my screenplay. And within a year and a half, I had my first full screenplay. And now comes the test of it, right?
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So every October, there used to be a screenwriting competition out in LA. So
0: I have it. Now, wait a minute. At this time, where did you live? I live in Detroit, Michigan. No, so you're I'm sorry. In Baltimore, Maryland, this time. So you're in Baltimore, but you know about a screenwriting competition on the other side of the country. <laughs> the other side of the country. <laughs> so there and... was a lot of belief in what you had written. Yes. Going into this, that you were yes. going to get a, I'm assuming on a plane and fly all the way to Los Angeles. Yes, there was.
1: And uh the way that it worked, the company that you wanted to talk to, you had to pay the money. pitch your idea so down to simple three days pitch fest pay who you want to talk to I'm on the way I got the greatest screenplay ever written for the Green Lantern starring Jon Stewart because they would never let me write Superman so I Mm -hmm. said I would write Green Lantern they will say this is fantastic I would do two movies that would lead into Superman and then I write Superman, and then by extension, the Justice League. So I was on track before Marvel two years before they started the whole Iron Man ordeal. Uh And I went down there, got there. I said, here I am. Here is the world's greatest script. And here you go. And they said, you can't shop this thing anywhere else but Warner Brothers. Mm -hmm. So I wasted $150 on other tables that I couldn't talk to.
0: Now, now explain to people why you couldn't shop it, because this is a good point for for people out there who might want to do a spec script using somebody else's IP. Why couldn't you shop it around?
1: Now, this is important, and I learned when I flew all that way, is that there is such thing as called IP, intellectual property. Mm -hmm. I do not Mm -hmm. own the intellectual property, the Green Lantern. Every company outside of the IP holders, which is Warner Brothers, do not hold the rights to Green Lantern. So therefore, they cannot use Green Lantern. They cannot even look or read Green Lantern because they don't have the rights. Which left me only able to go to Warner Brothers to sell this script.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So I said, fine, one shot, one deal. I'll get this sold. Because I am the greatest screenplay writer ever who's only written one screenplay. (laughs) <laughs> and I go there, and I said, here is my screenplay, Warner Brothers. And they said, fantastic. Tell us your log line. I don't know what that is. Step out of line. You have failed.
0: Serious. Wow. Serious.
1: Wow. Serious. So at the time, there was a panel of three at the Warner Brothers. Uh, I guess one of them seeing all the hopes and dreams just, you know, dashed in my face, and he kind of really knew that I had no experience. So he kind of gave me that, so he gives me <laughs> a head nod and tells me to meet him over in the corner. Yeah. And he yeah. tells me, look, clearly you've never pitched. This is how it works. You come here, you, you, tell me your, you tell us your log line. If we like that, we say continue. You give us a paragraph synopsis that covers your whole screenplay. If we like that, we'll say proceed and give us the screenplay. Then we will look through it, and we will tell whether you have structure, amateur, you know, professional. We'll make a decision whether we'll buy or not. He says, you know, we don't want you to, You came a long way. We don't want you to waste time. Just when you're ready, come back. I'll wave you to the front. We'll try it again. Wow. Mind you, we wow. we got five minutes, however long it takes for us to determine we don't like you, and tell you to move.
0: Fantastic. <laughs> That, that, that's so wonderful. You're you're learning on the spot. You're you're getting you're getting a, 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 a college education. But I have a point a question for you. When they said okay, you have the log line and you have the um the Paragraph synopsis. Paragraph synopsis do you speak that or do you hand that to them? You say you are speaking. You, okay. you
1: you mm-hmm. spoke you spoke it at the time. And if mm-hmm. we get back to that, I'll tell you how that's changed even today. you okay. um definitely, definitely. But you had to speak definitely. it at the time. And then they'll tell you to approach and give a screenplay. Mm-hmm. So I'll come back, and I said, Green Lantern, nightfall, my logline, in the darkness of space, when all lights have gone out, only one emerald light will shine brightest. Green Lantern, nightfall. They said, all right, give us their paragraph synopsis. So I sat there, and I was like, "John Stewart taking the lead role of the Green Lantern in this script. He is on Earth when Kalibak from across the stars comes and attacks Earth, and he steps up in front of it, and he takes it on. I gave them the paragraph, mm-hmm, and they said, mm-hmm. we will allow that. Bring us the script. So I give them the script, they flip through it, they says, 170 pages, you fail. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, I said, mm-hmm. So then once again, the middle guy took mercy on me, and he said, industry standard is 120 pages.
0: Or, or a little less, yeah. Or yeah.
1: less. 120 uh-huh. is the max.
0: Uh-huh. And I
1: said, why? If it takes me 170 to tell a good story, then it's just 170 minutes.
0: O- okay, Zack Snyder. <laughs> You're right. Director today.
1: <laughs> right. I, he was just like, so they kind of looked back. And the guy, the guy on the end was like, no. And so the middle guy just kept looking at me. He said, you know what? Let me see it again. I give it to him again. He flips through it. And he goes, you're an amateur. I can tell you by looking at it. The structure, subpar. I mean, it'll pass, but no. He said, but I'll tell you what. If you can knock 30 pages off this script and make it coherent, I'll buy it.
0: Are you serious?
1: (laughs) That's what he says. So I said, okay, not knowing that he set me an impossible task Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. to
1: knock off 30 pages and still make the screenplay coherent. I, I didn't have the time. I didn't have the experience to know how to make the cut.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when
1: I came back that next day, they said, no, you have failed. Next.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so, and, you know, and that's so amazing because um, the same, you know, you talk about gatekeepers and things like that, but it also happens when you pitch your, your manuscripts, your books and things like that. And one of the things that somebody said, one of the um, acquisition people said, it's like, you wouldn't believe how many people just don't follow the simple rules. I mean, they won't even have their, their screenplay in any kind of structure. They just, nowadays you have the, the software that kind of helps you. Yes. But they, I remember them saying, it's like, if, if if you just follow that simple thing, you're already in the last 10% because 90% didn't even follow that.
1: That and is so true. As, yeah. That is true. Yeah. And I did. Now, at the time, I lost. I was committed to the craft of learning screenplay writing, so I researched mm-hmm. software. Mm-hmm. And back when they sent CDs to you, I bought Final Draft screenplay wow. writing software. Okay. And at the time, it was like four hundred and some dollars.
0: hmm
1: But that was okay because I was gonna make four million off my first script. I just I just knew this, so it's okay in the investment. You know, I pay it back when I make the million and um what i learned what i learned from that trip was two things write better mm-hmm. and have your own intellectual property mm-hmm. so that's what that trip told me so when i came back i sat down and i thought about what kind of story did i want to tell that would be mine and who my characters would be, and what direction I wanted to go with it. Mm -hmm. So, within about four and a half months, I had the world that I wanted to create. And it was time to get started. And before that, I got a phone call from Warner Brothers. And I said, oh, they come to their senses." After I realized it was my friends playing a prank on me, uh. uh, and all it was, I I, and I, I can't probably say, I probably can't say the guy's name because he, he definitely went on to be a big wig in the Warner Brothers from that table that he started at of judging, and he said this to me. He said, a "Couple things," he said, "One, we wanted a more seasoned writer." We, we really were thinking of doing a Green Lantern movie. But well, we want a season writer. We're going to go with an older season writer. And with that, I want to tell you, don't stop what you're doing. Don't mm-hmm. mind the other two that has something to say, because he said, you actually have a kernel of talent. Mm-hmm. He said, if that was your first screenplay, you're an amateur, but I was impressed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he said, and you have a kernel of talent that if you work on, I'll probably be buying all my screenplays from you in the future. And uh, he said, stick with it. And when you're now seasoned and ready, you'll probably be to the point that I'll come looking for you. And uh, that's what he said. And of course, after that, I was pumped. I was pumped. And um, I went on and I created the ideal of this character named Jericho, and that he will be black. And I'm like, you know what? The majority of the cast will be black.
0: You know what? This will be an epic black movie. Now, did you have a good friend or spouse or somebody whispering in your ear, but you need to have a, a, a white character in there? That was
1: often told to me.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was,
1: that, and it was always, nobody's mm-hmm. going to buy it if mm-hmm. there's not a white character in it or white characters in it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, unlike our counterparts in the in, in majority of movies, I'm not dismissive of the other race. Mm-hmm. But we were for sure taking the lead in my epic because it's my epic. And I get to put in there and see everything that I never saw growing up, and that became like the crux and the arc of what became Jericho's Bane. Mm-hmm.
0: And you know, and one of the things I wanted to, as we go forward, but before we go too far, one of the things I wanted to circle back around is with your experience. Two things, really, mm-hmm. is um, I. It's funny, I actually went to film school. But afterwards, I went on um, my own knowledge journey and learning how to write screenplays above and beyond. Um, and that's when I really started reading actual screenplays and stuff like that, because I, I felt that you have that story from a screenplay, everything else comes from that. So I went on my own journey after school to really get a handle on, on, on writing it. But one of the things that when I was in school, we had somebody who had worked at Hollywood as a screenwriter, and he had come back. I went to Howard University, um, hey. graduate film school, yeah. And he said to us, going back to your length of your, your, your thing, because he says, look, you're the only one that really cares about it at, for, at the front. If Even if you're lucky enough for them to buy something. That's 170 pages, 200 pages, 300 pages. The first thing they're going to do is hire that seasoned writer to come in and cut it up. So he said, if you want your baby to still be whole, it's better for you to go ahead and do the changes yourself and bring it in with somewhere between 90 and 120 pages. And the other thing that I really like what you did is you listened to this professional and you came back and you immediately moved on what that person told you to do. I've known people who've been lucky enough to talk to the actual people in the industries that they want to go into, creative industries. They tell them what to do. They even welcome them to come back. And I've actually had friends who didn't listen to what the person said and came back, and the first thing the person says, but you didn't listen to anything I said. And I'm like, out of my sight. But not only did you manage to talk to somebody who's high up in a company, how they did that, They had a personality like you, that's the only thing I can figure out. But then they tell you to come back to show them what you worked on, and you come back and you gotta listen to what they said. And it's like, I like the fact that you immediately came back and you took what that person said and you moved forward with it. And I think that's an important thing to remember. If we don't get stuck on what we initially show to people, and if we're talking to people who know their stuff, take their advice, it might sting, think about it, but when you come back, if you're really a creative person and you're really serious about what you're going to do, you'll find you're going to listen to some of the things they said and you're going to implement it and you're going to laugh at it later because you're going to know what you have now is better than what you tried to do before.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And what I have found, and it still seems to hold true, to those who have made it, right, and mm-hmm. they have their accolades and they have their, they have their monies, what becomes a commodity to them is time. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they gave you the time Mm -hmm. to tell you what you need to do is that's a fortune in itself because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're telling you the blueprint of how they got to where they got. And those who have made it, I have found they look back and they know it's not about money. It's not about I'm going to take their money with the benefit. No, they've made it. And you get this feeling that you want everybody to make it that has their dream. So Mm -hmm. I'm not going to hold out on you. I will tell you what I've done. I will show you for free if I deem you are not wasting my time. I will show you how I got here. Mm -hmm. Just listen. And then when you get here, you can now make the rules the way that you want to apply them. And if you're really good enough, The industry will now bend to your rules, Mm -hmm. and it will become But you have to get here. And Mm -hmm. that's what I found. You have to listen to those who are already there. And me, I'm I'm one of those ones. I don't have any ego because I don't know any better. I can't say that I was traditionally trained to write screenplays in UCLA. (laughs) Or I'm not. (laughs) I'm an autodidact. Everything I've learned, Uh I've digested myself,
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: I've learned myself. And it hasn't been tested under anybody until i go put my work on the line Mm -hmm. and then when they come back and they're like this 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 this, this is just all wrong Mm -hmm. i see how it's all wrong because i had no clue what i was doing but thank (laughs) you for setting me right
0: (laughs) i mean that that's such a good point because i uh for a while uh uh, about like eight nine years i was teaching adult screenwriting um in arlington county And you're so right. Sometimes the hardest people are the ones who have the English degree. So they come in and it's like, okay, yeah, you're writing and your references to some novel, English novel. Okay, all that's fine. (laughs) But, you know, your story ain't kind of working and you kind of have to tiptoe around them because I have an English degree or something. Um, And the other thing I've noticed, again, going back to your example, they told you, you got a real life, Education. They told you, these are the rules. These are the rules. It's amazing how many people, again, when I would teach the class, it's amazing how many people, well, why do I have to follow that rule? Why does it have to be 120 or 90 to 120 pages? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to follow this structure? And it's like, okay, spend your money, send it to the writing. Now, send it to the screenwriting contest, get your feedback, and they're going to give you 10 pages, and the first things they're going to have on there is all that stuff you said you didn't want to do, because they're telling you the same thing. They're telling you the same thing. So, yeah, you, like I said, I'm I'm really impressed that not only did you, you were able to get that real-life education from somebody in the industry who saw your enthusiasm, who saw your talent and stuff, but you also, like you said, because you didn't know anything, you didn't have any ego to bruise. And so you were willing to do the work to make the changes and come with something that you really want to do. So yeah, nice, nice.
1: And, and, and that's something you learn and it just snowballs. You mm-hmm. just keep rolling with it and you just pick it yeah. up as you go. Yeah. And I kept saying, well, I'll just meet more and more people and they'll, they'll tell me how this works and how it goes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I don't know how, but you just do. Like I ended up, talking to the sisters that wrote episodes for Empire.
0: Wow, yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: And and this came from one of those Kevin Bacon Six Degrees of Separation. (laughs) I had a friend who says, it just came up that I tried to screenplay and I just been failing horribly. And she was like, I have two cousins. They're having a watch party for their first episode of Empire that they wrote. And I said, can I come? And she was like, well, I'll ask. And I said, can I get five minutes with either one of them? And she was like, well, I'll ask. And she came back and she said, yes, you can. I said, when's the party? She was like, three days from now. I'm on the way. So now I'm off to Miami, Florida. Oh, another trip. (laughs) Another trip for for five minutes that wasn't guaranteed. Mm-hmm. But this was my chance to meet another set of screenplay writers who were authentic, who was doing who was making it do what it do, baby.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh and I went there and the one that I had made the agreement to see totally blew me off. Okay. And the other sister stepped in. She was like, I don't have much time. Probably got about three minutes that I can give you. What do you need? Let's get it. How do you guys do a season arc? How do you write as a team in a writer's room? What does a writer's room look like? And I I didn't care about pay or any of that. I just wanted to know the structure of a writer's room. Mm -hmm. And knowing I have five minutes, that's all I wanted to know. So she was like, this is how it works. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, okay. How many hours do you guys write a day? Four. The human brain isn't much good past that. Wow. I'm like, really? <laughs> that, I I got stopped. I, I was stumped on that, because I'm thinking, you must write 8 to 12 hours a day to get these shows cranked out. And she's like, no, we write about four hours a day. And cause she's like, after that, you've taxed your brain, your creative juices are, are exhausted, and mm-hmm. you're tired. And I'm like, phew, I thought I was doing it wrong back at home because I write for two hours. I'm like, well, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she gave me the three minutes. Yeah, I paid about $700 total of airfare, hotel for three minutes. But I now knew how the writer's room worked some degree. And some of the story structure of how she told me of how they write their stories, and they're still cohesive. So I was like, great! I now have the knowledge. If I need to write with another person, mm-hmm. or if I get a chance to sit in the writer's room, I, I won't come in so green. Mm-hmm. I can be like, okay, so this, how, this is how we're doing. This is how we're working it. All right. And on top of that, you know, I challenged myself when I got back, and I wrote within a time constraint of maybe just what my episode would have been compared to somebody else's, because you're going to have deadlines. Mm-hmm. So. I wanted to make sure that I could write what I needed to write, if given a deadline. And these things go all to make yourself, to my opinion, a better writer, and if that moment occurs and it happens, and they said, this is what it is, you've got one week, prove it to us, we're flying you down here, we're going to put you in this room, and go.
0: See, and see, once again, And the reason I laugh is because you're looking at, although it's just a podcast, you're looking at but you saw me laugh. The reason I laughed is because you're following one of those age-old things for success and manifesting what you want in your life. You are putting yourself in the result where you want to be, even when you weren't there yet. So you are treating yourself like you are a writer in a writer's room. And by doing that, you're preparing yourself. And like you said, I, I mean, even in my life, in one of my first jobs um, uh, as a video person, the, the job people I worked for also did um, uh, catalogs, honey catalogs, because they were, they were total full spectrum of marketing. So they did video and they did. And I said, well, one of these days, they might need me to work on that. So I'm going to learn how to use that software to use for the catalogs. But I came up with my own project to do it so that I have fun doing it. And I taught myself the program. So I was ready to rock and roll. Now, I never had to do the catalog, but I, I didn't use that to do everything. And I still, to this day, use the software, Photoshop, and other stuff to set up my own things, to do my own designs, to do- Set up the tool. Like, yeah, yeah. And, but, but that's a really interesting thing, because, okay, you went from a screenplay for a movie to deciding that you wanted to do a TV series. And you were prepared when the opportunity came to list exactly the things you wanted to know and not waste her time so how did how did you decide to switch from a movie to a tv show um or a series i
1: didn't see
0: i didn't see the difference between the two
1: mm-hmm. um it's just that i'm writing many little, when i say many as in size like many screenplays as opposed to the big screenplay mm-hmm. and it gave me another avenue to try to step into the world of entertainment writing period because what if i don't get the movie what if tv comes first Mm -hmm. and i'm like okay well i'll i'll take that i'll take whatever i need to to step into that world and do not laugh at me and do not take this the wrong way people i even practice writing porn because Movies. Movies. yes yes <laughs> because guess what they have screenplay writers uh-huh. if you ever thought about it and that is not an offshoot that I would probably be able to work in that market first
0: mm-hmm.
1: before any others and I told myself that would be okay because I'm still learning the rules of writing for entertainment and still working with uh, a writer's room. Mm -hmm. And I also now have credit when I apply for other writing jobs. Because they're going to ask you, what have you done that has Mm -hmm. been published or that has been recorded?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And it's Hollywood. Some of their best writers got started there. So as taboo as it sounds, It's still quality work behind the camera. And it still may get you noticed. And okay, well, back then, if your movie got, you know, they bought 100,000 copies of that that movie, well, that was your screenplay.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and it's not an uncommon thing for either, you know, very snooty, very serious. Novel writers and novelists and authors to have gotten their start (laughs) by doing that. (laughs) We laugh,
1: but when you're looking to up your game and follow Mm -hmm. your dreams and be where you want to be, as you said, you have to do things that put you there that will get you there. So if I end up at the AVN Awards and I won, (laughs) we're we're laughing i
0: never heard of that. What's that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So the AVN Awards is the Oscars for adult movies. So if you end up, if I end up up there and I won an award for best screenplay writer, well, guess what? Not only do the people that we think are degenerates and all that, not only do they see me, some big wigs from Hollywood who likes that has also seen me yeah yeah so it's it's, uh, yeah 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 So it's it's an avenue that we don't think about because we have that whole this is the psychology side of me we have that whole you know shame factor and all of that but it's viable you're working you have credit and you're getting that education that you probably otherwise wouldn't get because the gatekeepers would block you from where you think you should be because you don't have the credentials. Now, while you're sitting there still waiting for these screenplays you think you should be, yeah, my route was kind of outside the lines, but now I've surpassed you and I passed you because I have more credit than you. And, and,
0: and, and not, not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but I think people don't realize with streaming and everything, there are avenues that skirt they may not be all the way, but they skirt and they still have very adult content and they're story driven, they're character driven. So there are people who probably got two or three seasons of a streaming show that they've done because they've done episodic shows and it's yes. all character based. Now, of course, it's all there to lead to a certain place, but it is definitely more character based than what you used to get in the seventies and the eighties down at the rental store.
1: It's a whole now, different I, ball game. And it go. And it and all goes... Those... To also spreading yourself and challenging yourself with different writings. Because, yes, I want to do screenplays, but still, I still want my own movie, my own comics, my own characters, Mm -hmm. my own, my own show with with the pentacle of novels. So each medium takes a different set of writing. And then as more opportunities come, What if, you know, what if George, what what does Lucas Books call me? And Lucasfilm is like, hey, we want you to write book 38 of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Well, I just didn't stick to writing one thing. I took a stab at writing not only my stuff, but other people's IPs, other stories, love stories, um, comic. I even wrote comedy scripts. And I don't think I'm funny at all. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I wanted to say that I challenged myself rolling. So if that was my first gig that somebody would pay me for that I can get in, well, we want you, Larry Davis said he wants you to curb your enthusiasm, and he wants you to write five pages, make them funny. Mm-hmm. Now, I might, I might horribly fail. But at least I had the tools and the chance to give it a shot at making the comedy funny because I've taken the time to learn how to write comedy. So it's just mm-hmm. making myself more diverse for whatever situation may arise. And mm-hmm. it helps with my own writing because now I can add a little comic relief in my novels or screenplays and still keep the serious overtone and keep it moving.
0: And I also think one of the other things it does, because, you know, you always hear the, the advice to, to writers, aspiring writers that comes from veteran writers, is whatever you do, keep writing. Yes. And I think sometimes some of us might, well, you know, I was really focused in on that. I don't know if I have another idea. Well, well kind of like what you said, well, don't worry about your big idea. Go and write in another style. I mean, if if you like Star Wars novels, then... Go and do one. Not that you intend to send it to anybody, but go and do a spec one with some of those characters, you know? So that way you're keeping your writing. You're still, um, I don't want to say perfecting. You're evolving your your style, your voice. And like you said, you know, you're you're experimenting around because what better way to do it than not to have the pressure of knowing that you're actually going to send it to somebody. You're doing it for yourself. Exactly. So, yeah.
1: And there's, and there's no pressure. There's no deadline. You're mm-hmm. just testing yourself to see can you do it? Like I wrote, and int- I, I started writing a Halo story. I'm gonna I'm gonna go a full 340 pages, uh-huh. um, because one I believe tour books will call me one day and say, well actually, it be more like me begging them to let me write for them, <laughs> and they're gonna just give up and say okay. But I'm a nobody at this point that don't have their attention at all. So I'm going to write a Halo story, and I'm going to send it to them and hate it, deny it, whatever. They may say, for all I know, that we didn't have one in the works. We wanted to get one out. You gave us this. You know what? Make changes. Here, 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 (laughs) here, here, and we'll take it.
0: Yeah,
1: and w- what have I got to lose? I haven't lost any time because I'm learning to write science fiction of a story that I like, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, and I haven't lost any money because what does it take me to write? Nothing, you know.
0: The only thing that I can do is gain. Yeah, and it it also seems to me also because one of the things that 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 an experienced writer said to people is when you first start out writing you know we all have these big stories and stuff our story and he advised screenwriting and he advised people say don't start out with your story start out with something that you like but don't start out with your story particularly if you're just starting out because you don't have the writing tops to it's like save that for when you've got a little bit under your belt and you've you've developed your voice you developed your skills you know how to do it so that when you sit down to do it you'll do a good job on it he said the reason why He's like, if it's something that's really close to you, it's really personal and really emotional. You might, you're writing it too soon, might turn into a therapy session, and it'll be <laughs> cathartic. And you'll write it, and you'll never want to go back to it because you've gotten it out of your system. And and so and you see, he, he always advised people. And so sometimes I tell people, when you know, I haven't I haven't done my story yet in my books or screenplays. I know that. Although they're bits of me and my characters, but when I when I would deal with new students, one thing they would always come in, some would always come in with these deeply personal things, and it's it's a it's amazing and a little sad to see that play out in real life. Yeah. That they put it all down on that page, they got it out of their system. Not only do they not want to come back, but even if they come back, they don't know how or how to step back as a professional and make the changes. They don't know how to step out of well, this is what really happened. It's like, yeah, but for story reasons. Have you thought about this? And you're talking about film. You could show so much with film without somebody So it's, it's, So you're doing that battle and you just feel it's not, yeah, they're not really ready to really change their really touching deep personal story yet because they put it out. They wrote it too soon. So I just think what you're saying about just writing and things that you don't have a personal connection to, maybe styles you haven't done before, that really helps you on your own to discover who you are and what you are so that you are ready. It the time it and, and, and you will thing.
1: come to find out what your writing voice is
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: like it just it just comes naturally. Mm-hmm. like i know with mine that that teacher side of me i already know <laughs> i'm throwing proper i'm throwing a lot of proper language in there i'm throwing words to stretch your lexicon i, I want you mad because uh, i made you go to the dictionary.
0: Uh, you know and, and somebody uh, it it's funny. My my YA novels, kids will kids who are really into it and read that, they'll do mm-hmm. it. They'll look up something. Yeah. But the one that that I'm writing for the adults, you know, we've had some beta readers do it and said, "Man, I had to get a dictionary." And it's like, I, first of all, I didn't think they had to. Second of all, they seemed like they were pissed that they had to do that. Was <laughs> one person. They're doing it on their own without anybody saying it because they want to they make sure they understand exactly what's being said. And you're right. I think that is so good because it's gonna, like you said, it's gonna stretch their understanding, their understanding of words. I knew words because they comic books used to do that all the time back in the day. I, I, like, I can wow. tell you,
1: I can tell you what word. I was reading the Superman Doomsday issue. Mm-hmm. And it was like Doomsday is like a blitzkrieg. I said, what is a Blitzkrieg? Now, we old school. I had to back up, Uh-oh. go get the Webster's Dictionary. Oh my god. Open that big bad boy up. Blitzkrieg. And when you get done with that, it was like it has its origins. See, encyclopedia under B. And it says something about the World War II. <laughs> then I find out, so, you know, that's how, you know, Blitzkrieg was a, a, a war tactic. Mm-hmm. And But now, because I had to look through two books, I forever had Blitzkrieg.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah. so now, to be the age that I am, for my lexicon to be as far stretched as it is, it's because of such words.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And... Then you realize how beautiful the English language is, which will force me eventually to go and get my writer's degree in uh, old English literature.
0: Oh no, you're one of those now. (laughs) I am one of those.
1: I am one of those. And what that brings is not only a knowledge of the history of words, but it brings challenges from your friends all the time. And because they know there are just certain words like, they hit me with kitty wampus.
0: Oh my god.
1: <laughs> what that 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 word burns my soul because it should not exist. It shouldn't. I, I will not allow it. But they they still laugh and they use us in a sentence when they address, you know, certain certain objects that we do now because they know oh it gets wow. my goat. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, I became one of those because I wanted to, once again, better hone my craft. Mm -hmm. And not that you have to go get a degree to do it, it's just that I wanted an option. And I wanted, and on the back of that resume, you know, I wanted to say, yes, I wrote this, 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 and I have a degree. (laughs) Okay, it's community college, but it's a degree. I
0: don't but, but, that, but that brings us full circle then, okay? So, And it's so funny because you, you started out like I did, because like I said, I went to graduate film school, and so I wanted to write films, but then I thought about story. And for me, I was already clued into the TV thing, and the people that I liked was Chris Carter, hey. X-Files. I love uh, Michael Straczynski, and he, who's actually, I think, writing Jack Ryan now. I did not realize that yeah. at first. But back in the day, he had done Babylon 5, and he tried to get it to five seasons, but that was some of the best character arcs that I had ever seen. Um, and he has a writing book out um, that covers all different types of writing. And then later, afterwards, um, Kripke, who did the first five seasons of Supernatural, because they were they definitive, they, they had the total arc. But I started out, but then I said, okay, And but I kept noticing that they wrote story. It said story by... It's like, okay, story is the important thing. Even before a screenplay, get the story. So that's when I went on my own knowledge journey after college to 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 learn all these things, to get all these screenwriting books, uh, and, and to look at these things and write things. Me and my friend, we were challenging each other, and we were entering things. We even learned how to do a series of Bibles. I think I mentioned one time the show Dead Zones, which was written by Michael Piler Peeler. I think he, he yeah. died not too long ago but he was the only show that I ever found that actually posted on USA network he posted the screenplays the production screenplays from his show and he produ- and he posted the um series bible the thing that he gave the new writers to explain exactly what you do the do's and don'ts this is what the this is what the franchise is this is what the character does in every show with his power all, I, have, I have all five um, writers' guides that he posted for writers on the show, and I have most of the screenplays because they were all up on USA Network, and you could just download them. And how valuable How valuable is
1: that? <laughs> it, valuable it, is that?
0: Like, like you said, and that's what you would look at. You would look at how they did their writer's Bible, and you learned learn what the – it used to be a takeaway or, or leave or something – um, but yeah, you look at those things and it's like, oh, and then you look at the episode. Okay. Now I see how they did it. Oh, that's yes. how they do when he goes into his power, he has a flashback. Okay. They use italics or they do uh, flashback. Okay. You're just looking at these real things and comparing them. And it was, like you said, it's, you're doing your own education because you really want to know how to do these things. Um, but that brings, because I know for myself, I just, I know why I decided to write my first YA series. Is because i was trying to do it in graduate school i did the, the 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 little um senior project thing film and people had all these questions so i decided to pick up from there and write the screenplay but then i decided that i was too hampered because i needed to build the world and that's when i really looked at writing story and way back when i said hmm, i wonder if i should do a novelization of it and that's how i kind of got into doing the novels first so that i could get all the world done do all the world building get all my characters but i always intended to come back and write the screenplays and i think one time i was talking with you that i actually had somebody come up to me in atlanta production company they read the novels and said hey do you have a screenplay for that and i was caught flat (laughs) <laughs> because I let down, the, it's like, ah, that was, and I told everybody that was one of my role, what I was going to do. But I really want to hear with you, because we want to talk about Jericho's Bane, and we want to talk about how that you went from your starting out the screenwriting and all the excellent advice you got and all the things you did on your own, how did you decide to do the novels from No,
1: so I can't do the novels because of the gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the... And it, it's not even a point of sugar coding. There's no nice ways to say it. There are just gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. And there are almost quadruple gatekeepers if you're black. And there are step gatekeepers if you are black and all your characters in cast are black. And uh, <laughs> so after years of bashing up against the gatekeepers, it was clear that I wasn't going to get past them, no matter how great I thought my story was, or how good I thought my characters were.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I just said, you know what? I'm gonna make Hollywood come to me. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of going to them. I can't take any more of these plane rides out to California, out to L. A. They know. So they're gonna come to me. So I'm gonna write this most magnificent ever manuscript that's ever been read in the history of men writing books. And within one year, they will say, this is the greatest book ever. Where is Arrow J. Knight? We're going to come for him. Where's his number? So that's what took me over into novelizing it, which was a mm-hmm. whole different world for me. Mm-hmm. I chose screenplays because it was easy. And when I say easy, not as in writing, but as in the visualization of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For example, the a screenplay, I can just say, Robert ate an apple, Mm -hmm. great. We all know as a society, we've all made an agreement of what an apple is and what Mm -hmm. it looks like when one eats one. Well, in the novels, you can't see Robert eat the apple, so you have to describe Robert eating the apple. So now, Robert ate the apple, turns into, Robert picked up the orbish hefty weight of the red circular orb. And as he bit into it, juices flew across his lips. His palate was delighted at the taste that hit it. As he, as he, as he, uh, oh, as he masticated.
0: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. As he
1: masticated the apple, the granular pulp slid down his throat. All that to say, he ate the apple. And that is why I originally stayed away from novels. Mm-hmm. But now, there was a shift in Hollywood where times were changing, Mm -hmm. that the day of the errant screenplay writer showing up and selling his screenplay for $150,000, $200,000, those days were over. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Hollywood had now shifted to, we want properties that are already created and already written. So they Mm -hmm. started moving more towards the book realm. So I said, hey, that's another medium that's coming up. That's a realm that I need to be in. Let me evolve. And um, that was difficult. It took me three years to write my first novel. Mm. Because one, I had no writer's voice, because i have never written a novel. And it was a lot of he, the, she, next sentence, the, next sentence, the, next sentence, she, next sentence, she, and (laughs) it it took a lot to get through that, and mind you, I still hadn't had a formal education in writing, Mm -hmm. so I still had to learn the true rules of noun, pronoun, dangling participles, and all this stuff.
0: All that grammar. <laughs> yes,
1: all the grammar that is needed when constructing a novel. And um,
0: I feel your pain. <laughs> yes,
1: that that was the tough part of it: uh, story, plot holes, structure, uh, on top of grammar. I didn't know any of this, mm-hmm. so it took a while. And then. Once I felt that I was done with the first draft of the completed manuscript, then comes what you learn that it must be edited. Mm-hmm. Preferably by a professional editor. Yeah. Which costs funds, it costs coins. So it's another investment in yourself. I do the investment. And my first manuscript was 74,000 words. That thing came back like somebody had cut his arteries and every vein, <laughs> superficial, dark wounds. Every, it, it was bad.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I had a great editor, and, by, and I paid for story, plot, grammar, and structure. And she nailed me on all that. I had a character in Chapter 37 that I killed off in Chapter 8, and he came back somewhere around 16 and was saving the day and had long been dead. And um, when I was complete, my -hmm. story went from 74,000 words to 161,000 words before it was complete. Mm -hmm. And then after that, guess what? It still sat for about another two years because I have fear and fear immobilizes you. And it not was you, not Thursday
0: night. Yes,
1: no. <laughs> fear of critics and criticism, of wow. putting myself out there, because with a screenplay I'm kind of hidden. I sold it to whoever, you know. Uh, they called in their script doctor, made it better. We did a new script for a shooting, uh, a shooting script, and boom, I'm done. I got, but I've been had gotten paid, and I'm on my way to another one. Mm-hmm. This one was now me with my name on it, front and center out for the world to now critique. so it took me a few years to get that to lose that fear to step mm-hmm. out there to open criticism
0: and now real real quick because is just stopping right there because again um, just just you know advice to to writers and new writers or, or people were there anything in particular that you did 'Cause like I said it kinda surprises me considering that you jumped on a plane and you went to LA and Miami. But now it's like and, and I know kind of sort of it it's because writing a book is so you know is is People people know, will judge you
1: by a standard. Only,
0: only certain people are supposed to be able to do that. Yes. On I mean, the screenplay, you weren't supposed to be able to do that, but now you're talking about writing a book and a thick book at that. Epic. So my thing is were there anything in particular that you did? that you could advise people who might be in the same situation? Or was it just a natural evolution that you finally got past it?
1: I think it just became a natural evolution because Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you keep looking at this manuscript that you wrote. Mm -hmm. And your mind is already telling you that you didn't write it to sit on your desk. You wrote it so it could be seen because you wanted Hollywood to come to you.
0: So now, Hollywood, you printed it out? You printed it out?
1: Yes, I printed it out.
0: Nice,
1: nice, nice. I printed it out because wow. it just looked incredible mm-hmm. to print out your work. It was tangible mm-hmm. now. I was touching mm-hmm. it. And I'm looking at it, and I realized that Hollywood would never come to me if Hollywood never saw it. So it goes, all right, I'm going to publish it. And it was a road to that. But when it finally was published and it was released, mm-hmm. guess what? There wasn't pitchforks. There wasn't torches. <laughs> Nobody came to my house and say, this novel sucks. You are the worst writer ever. My sales told me that. <laughs> 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 and uh, wow.
0: now this first one was, was Jericho's that Jericho's
1: Bane Imperial Protocol? Okay.
0: 160,000 words?
1: Yes. 161,000 words. Ooh. 603 pages. Right. Ooh. Yes. And nobody bought the thing and oh i'll take that back friends and family
0: oh you so, also good friends and family <laughs> well
1: well maybe maybe half of them because yeah. uh technically i had to send my parents copies because they weren't they weren't ever gonna buy it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's a reflection on me they're just like we're not going to the bookstore but we know it's good baby
0: <laughs> oh. yeah and of
1: yeah. course i did the whole pre-sale and all that and people mm-hmm. promising like yeah we're going to get this book and we're going to yeah we got you but yeah we're going to get we're going to sell this I'm like fantastic and analytics finally showed up and I was ecstatic I said sons come here sons look at what your father has done not only have I created the world's greatest novel right next to Tolkien we are now going to see all the money that it has made marvel at the analytics of Oh, they all lied to me. <laughs> I sold 30 books. And that 30 books. What span books, of
0: time? And what span, span of time?
1: That was 30 books over, that would have been my first quarter, over four months. Okay. Maybe another 20 at the eight-month mark. And about 80 books total in the first year. Wow. And when I first released, I released under my name, James L. Howard. And I had a different cover. And mm-hmm. that's what I released. And mm-hmm. it came back to no fanfare. And if you were to Google James L. Howard, you would find an old white guy from 1929 who, who did something incredible that I don't even remember because only his face shows up whenever you put that in.
0: <laughs> so now, now what, what? How did you put it out? What, um, which avenue did you use to put the book, the, the book out? I went through generation? Goodreads, okay,
1: Amazon, Barnes mm-hmm. and Nobles. I, you know, I paid for like ad spots on Facebook and Instagram, mm-hmm. and I did what I could with the funds that I had,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it generated. In total 80 80 books in a year mm-hmm. and uh I said okay now publishing was a whole ordeal so just so just leaving the publishing out it got to a point that I was researching information for book two because guess what a lot of things I learned writing a novel number one you need a Bible which I didn't write
0: a Bible for book one
1: Learn that very quick, starting book but wait,
0: two. But wait a minute. You do about a series Bible, but you didn't have a Bible for your world? <laughs>
1: I did not have a Bible for my world because uh-huh. I, I knew it all up here. Mm. But then when I started book two, it became talking continuum, mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, man, what, what did I say that they transported themselves in? And <laughs> so I had to go back. Reread book one, take my own notes from my own story, and make a Bible, and then continue that through book two.
0: Yeah.
1: But in writing book two, when I was doing research into the Judeo-Christian aspects of the Bible, I noticed something in the Old Testament. And what I noticed was that anybody who had purpose, or that God had deemed somewhat special, changed their name. And in changing their name, they became this force, this, mm-hmm. this malevolent wind that blew through to whatever their purpose was.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I was like, that makes sense. I said, this is my purpose. I know that I'm supposed to get this book made and, and Jericho's is going to be a feature someday and I'm going to be one of the most revered writers in Hollywood. I got a late start and I'm going to finish strong. Mm-hmm. So... I must change my name, and I must change my cover. I must rebrand myself, and I must become the engine behind Jericho's Bane that will will make this thing go. So this is my purpose, and this is what I will do. So with much thought, Errol J. Knight was born. And Errol J. Knight is a combination of all three worlds. My ancestors of old. Mm -hmm my name, the J for James, and Knight, my family's surname on the father's side. So I had mother's history lineage, my name and my father's history of lineage, all in one name. So you had Arrow J. Knight. And then I refurbished the book and I put us front and center, as you can see in the background, this would be cover of book one. And I let Gabriel lead the way with her blackness her red hair and her mighty sword. Then, putting myself as the engine, where I am now the front runner of my book, because guess what? Nobody's gonna sell the books better than me. Nobody knows Mm -hmm. the product better than myself. So, I created the persona of Arrow J. Knight to go along with the books and made that the engine. And then we stepped out there. And now, within two years, I have sold a little over 2,000 books.
0: Very nice, very nice. But let's step back a little bit because I like that, and that's another good point. You said you made yourself the engine. Yes. What exactly? And you did explain a little bit, but what was your thought going into that? What all does did, did it mean to be the engine? I know what a story engine is for a series, but it sounds like you became your own story engine for your books.
1: I did. So what I realized, I took even, I took even, I evolution, I took, I took even more of an evolution where. I now started going to book fairs and writers' conventions. Now, you want an ego check? You do a book signing and be nobody. Now, nah, you you can't go nowhere but up from there, okay? I, I did have
0: it. I have been there. It's like <laughs>
1: <laughs> then you know.
0: Yeah,
1: and that same energy. I went to my first comic book convention, and What I noticed with all my peers that I sat next to that were doing um, novels or that were writing books, I noticed one, they were like doing uh, coloring books and I would call them novellas, maybe 150, 200 pages. So I'm like, okay, that's my competition. Got it. I'm writing full-fledged fiction. I'm giving you a full novel, baby. And I said okay. And then what I noticed was, for the most part, writers are kind of have like an introverted personality. So they'll
0: yes, we do. Yeah, you're the, you're, you're you're the oddball out. <laughs>
1: and and I would watch them place their their work. And some some of them had seven, eight, nine books in their series. Uh huh. And they would place their work, and they had no excitement no passion about it. They just sat behind their table and expected somebody to come to them and purchase their work.
0: Yes, that's that's the way it works, right?
1: <laughs> so that wasn't working. Ah, uh, okay. So I'm watching all this revenue and all these anxious fans that probably really wanted to be their fans but didn't know because the, these writers weren't telling anybody how great their stories were. And when you look at it, right, before you go see a movie, you see the trailer. And they're like, explosive! Jericho Bain coming to a theater near you, and then somebody's like flying into the screen on a rope. And you're like, I don't know what that (laughs) is, but I want to go see it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Your
1: book is the same way. And I remember in the 90s, Star Wars books. Mm -hmm. They had commercials. Now, mind you, they didn't have Luke Skywalker swinging lightsabers or anything, but they would say they would show the book coming to the screen and you would hear a lightsaber ignite in the background. In a galaxy that has gone cold, Vader has met his match. A new enemy from outside the galaxy has come in. Will the Mm -hmm. Force reckon with i don't know but now i want to read the book to find out <laughs> it's that same it should be that same energy when it's mm-hmm. these authors books so i said well i want to my thought was i want to sell books i want to make new fans i want them to know to come to me to buy my next set of books mm-hmm. because being introverted and be being seated c- back from my first book i only sold 80 books And that was friends and family, who I don't think any of them even read the damn thing. So they were just being kind by buying the books, which is, thank you. But I kind of did all that work so you can say, good story. And so watching them is what got me up out of my seat, around in front of my table, and stopping those who would walk by to tell them, this is the greatest story that's at this convention. And I don't think any of my
0: author cohorts would argue with this, because
1: they're not saying much now anyway. <laughs> no,
0: but I, and I can speak personally because I have seen him in action. He is not he is not lying to you. That is exactly what he does. But I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because there's one thing I wanted to mention, particularly like you said, because I, I think at heart you you consider yourself to be an extrovert, right?
1: Yes. Yes, but I am fueled for- by yeah. I am fueled by groups of people.
0: Yeah, and so for those, like you said, some of the cohorts who are um, like introverts, uh, there's this book that I've mentioned once before by Susan Mm Cain, and it's called Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World that Can't Stop Talking. And one of the things she said in there is a really key thing that people might want to think about. What you're doing is possible for somebody who's an introvert if they really care about what they're talking about. Yes, it is. What happens is an introvert who really cares about what they're talking about, for that period of time, they become an extrovert. Now afterwards, they have to crash and go and process. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But when they're there, it it is a phenomenon that happens. And so if you are an introvert as a writer and you're sitting there and you're hesitant to, to, to move out, think about something that you're really passionate about. You wrote the book for some reason. Talk about that. Stand up and you'll for that time period you will take on those qualities and yes. people will respond to you.
1: Yes. You you are your book in the beginning.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Nobody knows who you are yet. And what you said is key. You wrote it. Mm-hmm. Thumb- seven, eight, nine, ten books. You written it. You did the work. I I'm sitting next to you. And I won't know about it unless you tell me. So if you don't tell me, I will never know to look right and come over there and get one of your books. Yeah. And, and, you know, and like I said, whoever I'm working with, whoever I'm next to, hey, I'll work it up so we can all be incredible. And I'll be like, thank you for purchasing Jericho's Bane. But guess what? She is even more incredible than I. And to prove it, (laughs) she has six more books than I do. (laughs) And I heard her story. And it made me tear. Go ahead and see what she's talking about. And then, for whatever reason, I have now passed energy to her. Mm -hmm. And she is up. Well, he introduced me, so I got to bring it. And then her books are moving,
0: yeah.
1: and we're all moving together, and that's that's my thing. I'm not trying to outdo this person, that person. Mm-hmm. I want us all to eat. I can't tell you how many books I lose just in fair trades with other
0: authors. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, and it's something that, that um, a friend of mine did, um, I think I mentioned before. He was actually an engineer, and he had taken my writing classes, but we were basically buddies, and he would read my stuff, and I would read his. And he once said to me, he's like, what is it that you want to say? Because I think I was having an issue with with, um, a current series that's going to come out. And once he asked me that, I really thought about what I wanted to say, and I really got really involved and really live about it and telling him. And he just looked at me and said, okay, that's your selling point. That's
1: That's your selling point. Yeah. That's your selling point. And he's right. When you've done the work, nobody's going to be more Mm -hmm. excited, more pumped. Nobody's going to know the story better than you, than the one who created it. Mm -hmm. So what I've come to know, when people buy Jericho's Bane, when they buy what I'm asking for them to buy, Mm -hmm. they're buying my belief. I believe in this so much that you believe it because I believe it. Mm -hmm. And that is how I become the engine behind the world of Jericho's Bane. And the engine is what moves the books until it becomes self-sustaining. Mm-hmm. And you know, and it's hard work. I mean, there are days that I'm tired, there are days that I'm sick, and I still have to put on that face, get up, and go out there and give it 100. Because yeah. it's a lot of noise out there, and mm-hmm. you have to rise above the noise. You have to be engaging, and Sometimes, it pays off in ways you don't even know. Um, for example, I had a comic convention this past weekend. I am no higher than any other conventioner that's there. So, first thing we see here is the actor Sam Whitworth. Hey. <laughs> this guy, I was like, oh, he's gonna be there? But that, well, this is what caught my attention. There you go. You're up at the top. I'm there. And I have no clue how I got there. I gave them no picture. I gave them no information. But it's like joining Farpoint this year will be Arrow J. Knight. There you go. And that was just that incredible charisma. Mm -hmm. And go get it attitude that probably got me there, unbeknownst to me. And the more of a selling point, of course, I'm there, and I see Sam Whitworth. And I chase him down, and I'm out of breath. And I'm like, I'm like Sam, wait. Wait, I, I got, I'm, I'm that creep, OK? I'm that, I'm that guy that, like, used to get all these autographs. That, that's me. That's me. And he goes, Errol J. Knight. Wow. <laughs> me, because I am so unknown. He said, no, no, you're, you're above me on the sheet. I, I saw you. He said, did you just fly in?
0: "Uh, Yeah, uh, sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you mean, you know, fly in from Baltimore City to here, like 30 minutes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but honestly, I, that's that's great. That's, nobody's ever just came up to me and said, Earl J. Knight. So you being the first, like, really blows my mind. But I am totally unknown. And I'm here for your autograph. And uh, he said, Well, he said, Do you have the stuff? I said, No, because it's back at my table. But I just saw you want to let you know I wanted to catch up with you. He said, That's fine, you can catch up with me. So the next day, he asked me catch up to him, and he signs my book, he signs my video games, and we're sitting there talking. And I said, Well, you sign my stuff. I have three books that I have signed for you. So I give him the books, and he's like, he's blown, he's stoppergasted. I said, now, book number three, I only signed half my name in this one. He was like, oh, dude, why would you do that? Because I will finish the rest of this the day that you chase me down out of breath for my autograph.
0: Now, you know that he's going to remember that conversation, and he's going to be talking about it to other people.
1: (laughs) And he he will, and he will. And Mm -hmm. hopefully I planted a seed, Mm -hmm. and I built some great will with Sam that Mm -hmm. somehow will surpass even me and may come back to help me somewhere somewhere down the line. Mm -hmm. And it didn't help because It also helped that he now has one of Jericho Bain's Arrow J night shirts. You know, oh, provided wow. provided by yours truly. And he was like, So what am I supposed to do with this? And endorse you? No. That's for you for all the countless hours of entertainment that you have provided me, and I loved it. From from when you were doomsday to you were crashed down on Battlestar Galactica. You That's know, true. and I said, That is my thank you. Or making my, you know, childhood and all that, that much better, you mm-hmm. know, and um, because I know you guys, I don't get a whole lot of things, but that's my thank you. And he was like, he kind of had that look like, what's the catch? No catch. And I was like, but now my ideal is if he wears a shirt and somebody likes it and somebody says, where'd you get that from? He's going to say, this a hole who only signed half my book. <laughs>
0: Wow. That's nice. So and again, it's something really important you mentioned is just um planting seeds, putting things out there, you know, th- th- investing in something and that it'll come back full grown to you. So that's an important thing number two.
1: And that's in everybody. Like mm-hmm. my first failed book signing. You know, <laughs> I had to eat that. Uh, which in case you guys don't know, when you're your own publisher and you mm-hmm. put on their uh book buyback. Mm-hmm. So places like Barnes and Noble's, they will buy one hundred books if you want to do a Mm -hmm. book sale, a book signing. They purchase those, great, Mm -hmm. because you get the money. Although they bought Mm -hmm. it at wholesale, you get the money as they bought it full price.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Now, whatever books don't sell, Barnes and Noble's have to be able to sell that back. Mm
0: -hmm. You're the publisher,
1: so that's who's buying all those books back?
0: You know, it's so interesting because you talked about real life experience. I remember through my work, I had worked with one of the um, managers, marketing managers of one of the Barnes and Noble in my area. And so, when I was going to do my book launch, it's like, hey, can I do um, a book launch in your in your place, or, or even get my book placed there? And she says, well, she says, well, who did you who did you put it out with? And at the time, I did Amazon. She says, well, we have to be able to do what you just said be able to send it back if we don't sell. At the time, I didn't know, I knew about Ingram, but I didn't know that Ingram would allow them to do that if I had used Ingram. And so like you said, it's those things that you learn as you go along, but then somebody explains it to you. So that's really interesting.
1: And then you learn the hard way. So I said, okay, I'm the engine. They -hmm. give me a hundred books to sign, I'm gonna gonna sign those hundred books. Mm -hmm. So I had three hours. To sign a hundred books and get them things sold and moving,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I sold one, and that's because I think the staff felt so bad for me that they all anteed uh, up and bought one book.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. And, have you done any other uh, book signings at like maybe independent bookstores or things like that?
1: No. Uh, now, so independent bookstores, they still have to review your book, which which is fine. Mm-hmm. You can review it. Mm-hmm but they're far few in between now of the Mm mind pod shop. Mm -hmm. And so, and they're kind of like in remote locations. Like I think one of the ones I spawned was like in DC. Mm -hmm. It's a little far, but I'm building a fan base in DC. And and like this year, uh, to get Jericho's Bane, I'm actually traveling outside of Maryland to other states Mm -hmm. to, to spread Jericho's Bane and to spread the author, Arrow J. Knight.
0: There's a website. There's a really good website. Just just real quick, there's a really good website and I'll send it to you. But um, I think I told you about the guy that I met down in Atlanta who, who has his own independent publisher. And he said, you need to get into the independent ones. But one of the links that he gave me was one that shows all the independent black bookstore across that- the country.
1: Would be a godsend, yes.
0: Okay, I'll send that to you because there's actually more than you realize, and maybe it's it's an advertising thing or getting awareness out there, there's more than you realize in Atlanta, in the D.C. area, in Maryland. I will send that to you. I know what it was. Oprah Winfrey did the list, and it goes state by state, and it lists all of them. I've actually reached out to a whole number of them, Um, and some of them have gone ahead and placed my book, because that's one of the things that if you're with Ingram, then they can get it. And they can put a couple of copies in their store. And then if you ever need to do a book signing, like you said, you can have them either bring your own or you can have them order it and you can come and do it. So I will send you that link, but it was actually put out by Oprah and it's yeah, please, all, please, all 50 states. Yeah.
1: As you say, when it comes to advertising, we're lacking mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. we're blocked. People yeah. say, no, you're not. Yes. Yes, yes we are. are. <laughs> yes, we are. And... um but as i said it's, it's always a learning journey mm-hmm. and you're constantly um putting yourself out there those are so those good to know people that wants that want to follow into the footsteps that you have to you have to be your book you have to make that thing move you i've had to pick up the skills of marketing uh public speaking all those came yeah. with just trying to be an author
0: yep So, uh, we've we've gone gone over an hour, but um, let me see, what, um, how can everybody get in touch with you or better yet, how can they find all things Errol J. Knight?
1: So, and I was just told by a good friend today, you can Google Errol J. Knight. And I promise, won't no white old man show up from 1929. Uh, Arrow J. Knight will actually show up. You can reach me through. You can Google me, or you can find me at arrowjnight.com. and uh, there you will find the books. There you will find apparel, sweaters. uh, There you will find artwork, comics, and you will always get to keep up to date with what I have coming down the pipeline.
0: And and what's next for you? Because I think you have a third book in the series coming out, or is it already out?
1: It's already out, at least. Jericho's Bane, Path of Desolation, Part 2, released Mm -hmm. February 1st. And uh, right now you can find it on Kindle and wherever books are sold, as well as Amazon. Mm -hmm. Uh, The audibles, Audible for book one, the Imperial Mm -hmm. Protocol, should be available by the middle or maybe the end of March. It's going through the uh, vetting process with Audible now to make sure that all my tracks are are Mm -hmm. good and usable. So hopefully by the end of March, that's released.
0: So that will be on Audible, which also, if you have an Amazon account, you can when you go to get your book on Amazon, it'll show you the audio version. Yes, it
1: will. Yeah. It will okay. show you on Audible once it's up and running. Okay. Um, I think that's about it. So with book three releasing, that's given mm-hmm. me time mm-hmm. to work on two other stories that I'm releasing this year. i be releasing comic book two to Jericho's Bane, and I'm releasing comic book one um, of the 54th. Okay. And uh, the 54th is... As I said, you write things that are out of your wheelhouse to get better. The 54th is my first jump into science fiction. Mm -hmm. And pretty much, I took the idea of the 54th Massachusetts Black Company um, Mm -hmm. that made their run on Fort Wagner back in, I think, 1864. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, what would that be like if it was 2564? So... I took our first all-black regiment to 2564, where they had their mm-hmm. own ship, mm-hmm. and uh, it's called the, uh, the Robert Shaw, after their commander <laughs> that took them into battle <laughs> in 1864. Oh, man. <laughs> so on the Robert Shaw, they will mm-hmm. be teleported um, eight billion light years from Earth, mm-hmm. and they will be the ones that have first contact with a predator alien species. Mm. And it will become a race. As the aliens find out the crux of where they entered into the time slip stream to end up that far, and mm. now it's a race for this superior aliens of making it back to their Earth to conquer it. Mm. So this will pit us in our first space battle by us for us in 2564. So that wow. will be released and that's, this year. That's, that's comic book.
0: That's comic that's book. That's comic
1: book. With the novel shortly to follow mm. after.
0: Oh, so you are going to do a novel, okay? You better believe it. So Jericho's thing is—you consider that fantasy? Yes. Okay.
1: It's uh, it's fantasy urban realism. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay.
1: And, uh, you know, cause I, hey, although I got mighty swords swinging in there, I still got that AR and them AK-47s rocking. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's a it's a good read. Um, you can also find me on instagram i am at, at 67 rejections on instagram that's the name to follow me under and uh that's it that's where that's where Arrow J Night is right now
0: hey well cool well thank you thank you thank you for um agreeing to do this um most people don't know we tried it once and there was some technical issues so <laughs> <laughs> we had to reschedule but thank you for doing this i appreciate it and i, look hey, I appreciate being on here product. all right thank you man Thank you for listening to another edition of the Urban Guru Podcast. And of course, you can always find us on iTunes. Just search for Urban Guru and you'll find our podcast listed. You can also listen to this podcast on SoundCloud. Just search for Urban Guru Podcast and you'll be able to find it there too. Thank you again for listening. And remember, no matter whatever your creative endeavor is, always push forward because every step that you take along that path will lead you to your ultimate destination.